The three of them were en route to the airport because a detective with the local sheriff's department had approached Rhyme after one of his lectures in the county building and asked for some help. Paul Gillette was a trim 45-year-old with impressive posture, a hairstyle that an army major would have sported, and a face that seemed incapable of smiling. But he had revealed a droll sense of humor when, as a thank you for the lecture, he gave Rhyme the choice between a coupon to the local Red Lobster or an incident report on a local businessman who'd just died in what might or might not have been an accidental plane crash. Rhyme had replied, Hmm, murdered crustacean or murdered human? I'll pick the latter. He turned to Amelia. You up for that, Sax? Sure, nothing pressing back in New York. So Rhyme agreed to stay for an extra day or two and help out on the Stephen Nash homicide investigation. Besides, he'd enjoyed the trip here and had for the first time tasted stone crabs, quite the delicacy, and the rum in Florida seemed better than the rum anywhere else but the Bahamas. At Rhyme's direction, Tom now piloted the accessible van into the airport itself and aimed for the unmarked police car at the far end of the field. According to Gillette, there had been a possible explosion in Nash's plane mid-flight. A bomb was suspected, though a mechanical malfunction could have been the cause of the crash. As they were driving in, Rhyme noted that it was unlikely that a bomber could have breached the perimeter fence and not been spotted or injured. The fence was topped with razor wire. There were also cameras facing down and out. That meant if anybody did get in to plant the bomb, it was most likely, not certain, but likely, an inside job. They drove to the one hangar at the airport on the far eastern edge. It was a small structure, windowless and doorless at the rear facing the water, and open at the other end, presumably so that the relentless wind from the Atlantic not far away wouldn't blast the aircraft and workers inside. Tom parked near the squad car, and he, Rhyme, and Sachs exited the van and met the detective on the tarmac. A fierce storm had descended upon the area yesterday. It had passed, but the wind still buffeted those present. Rhyme brushed his dark hair from his eyes with his one working limb and fingers, his right. Thanks again, Mr. Rhyme. Detective Sachs. Lincoln and Amelia are fine. What was the aircraft? One of those new ones, personal jets, Horizon jet, twin engine, mounted in the rear. Real small, seats four. Nobody else on board? No. For those planes, you don't need a co-pilot. The autopilot's so good, they do most of the work. He added that this secure area was owned by Southern Flight Services, a fixed base operator, a company that provided ground services to upscale private pilots. Rhyme was familiar with such operations from a prior case, and he noted that this was a shoestring FBO. There was only one jet and two twin-engine prop planes parked here now, and they were covered with leaf-strewn tarps. It seemed they'd been there for a long time. So, Lincoln, we've kept the scene secure. What equipment do you need? I'll call forensics and get you whatever. We've got some pretty good stuff. Rhyme was looking at the dim hangar. Good. 
concrete floors which would retain footprints, and it looked like the place hadn't been swept for a week. Any trace would still be there. Where exactly was the plane? Gillette pointed to the middle of the rain-soaked tarmac. It wasn't in the hangar? Sachs asked. 